Reading this morning from Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Good morning. One of the great challenges that I think we all face after we come to Christ is learning to give thanks in all things. We're told over and over in Scripture to do that, and yet we find that life's pretty hard. We deal with all kinds of trials and difficulties, struggles, relational difficulties, and yet Scripture says over and over again, be thankful in all things. It's not always easy, is it? When you're going through a financial struggle, job loss, some kind of relational difficulty, marriage struggles, health challenges, loneliness, you fill in the blank from your own life. How can we be thankful in the midst of all that? Well, today we're looking at Psalm 118. It's a psalm that's been used by God since it's been written to help men and women praise him, give thanks to him in whatever circumstances they happen to be. It's encouraged the Israelites throughout the centuries. It's part of the liturgy of the Passover. In the Passover, there's a section of Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118, that are sung at Passover, and that's been that way since the time of Christ. The first couple, 113 and 114, are sung before the Passover, and then 115 to 118 are sung at the end of the Passover, even today. Psalm 118 is also sung at the Feast of Tabernacles and other times. It's a psalm that's been used by Christians to strengthen their faith throughout history. Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer, said this about Psalm 118. This is my psalm, (laughs) my chosen psalm. I love them all. I love all Holy Scripture, which is my consolation of my life. But this psalm is nearest my heart. And I have a peculiar right to call it mine. It has saved me from many a pressing danger, 
from which nor emperor, nor kings, nor sages, nor saints could have saved me. It is my friend, dearer to me than all the honors and powers of the earth. Well, that should be encouragement enough to study Psalm 118, right? (laughs) But more than that, this psalm is the psalm that was on Jesus' heart the last week of his life. We have clear evidence of that. As he approached the cross, it's the psalm the crowds quoted in the triumphal entry, remember? Hosanna! Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Quote from Psalm 118. So the crowds were shouting it. And Jesus said, hey, if they don't sing this song, this Psalm 118, the rocks will cry out. Jesus quoted this psalm to the Pharisees to challenge their view of him. In Matthew chapter 21, let me just point out where that is. Matthew 21, verse 42 and following, he's challenging the Pharisees, and he says to them, Did you never read the scriptures, the stone which the the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is in Jerusalem, right before he died. Jesus quotes Psalm 118. Jesus suggests over in chapter 23 of Matthew that this psalm, Psalm 118, is what will be sung at his second coming. He quotes it in verse 39. He says, For I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And probably Psalm 118 is the last hymn that he and his disciples sang as they finished the Passover meal and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says they sang a hymn and went out. Well, according to Passover liturgy, Psalm 118 was the last hymn they would sing. What an encouragement to know that Jesus depended on this psalm to get through the toughest time in his life as he prepared to die for you and me. (laughs) So this psalm can surely help us to learn to be thankful in the midst of whatever trials we're facing. So let's pray together and look at this psalm. Lord, what an amazing psalm this is and how you've used it to encourage so many from Martin Luther to our Lord himself and many, many, many others. I pray, Lord, that you'd use this psalm to open our eyes to what it means to truly be thankful, to live with thankful hearts, whatever we're facing, to learn what we can give thanks for, even in the hard times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look at this psalm, I see five reasons to give thanks. We could probably pull more out, but I want to highlight five. Five reasons to give thanks, whatever your circumstances, whatever you might be going through in your life. First reason to give thanks is because of his love. Psalmist, as you just heard, begins by saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Oh, let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. But let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. The psalmist calls all God's people, doesn't matter who you are, 
general population, (laughs) some of the priests, some of the full-time ministry people, and those who fear the Lord are probably referring to God-fearing Gentiles like us, people who have given their hearts to the Lord, who have entered in, been grafted into the people of God. He says, everybody, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You see, if you've put your faith in Christ, you've been incorporated into the very people of God. You are one of those covenant people, chosen people of God. And for you, his love endures forever. It it can never be taken away. It can never be gone. There's friends of ours, uh, part of the Van Skyver family, Katie, their daughter, is in Seattle right now in the process, she and her husband, of adopting a little baby. Couldn't have one of their own, so they're adopting little Noah. Noah is becoming part of their family forever. Uh, He never has to fear that they'll turn him away or reject him because he's been adopted in. He's been specifically chosen by them. And they commit themselves to love him for the rest of his life. That's what God has done with you and me. He chose you and I to be his adopted child, daughter, son. And he says, my love towards you will endure forever. It will never be taken away. Once you become under that umbrella of God's family, of his people, then you can be thankful because his love endures forever. It can never be taken away. And that word for love here in this verse is the Hebrew word chesed. It's, it's not just kind of a warm, friendly kind of love. It's his covenant love. It's his love that's a loyal love. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness or loyal love or mercy even sometimes. But really it's this covenant love. It's this committed love, a loyal love that says, I am committed to you no matter what. No matter how I feel, no matter what happens, I am loyal to you to the end of time. My loyal love endures forever. And the psalmist reminds us of who is saying this. He says, give thanks to Yahweh, as we talked about last week. Okay, capital letters for the word Lord, all four letters, means that that's the name Yahweh. It's God's personal covenant name, the name that he gave to Moses when he said, who shall I say is sending me? It's that Yahweh, that personal covenant name which led Israel out of Egypt, out of the Exodus and made them his people. So in every way, the psalmist is emphasizing, look, God has made a covenant with you. You are his people and if you've committed your life to Christ, you are under that umbrella. You've been adopted in. You are his child and therefore we can give thanks always because His love endures forever. His love can never, ever, ever leave it, leave us. And that's why the psalmist says, let Israel say his love endures forever. In other words, we need to declare it. We need to remind ourselves. We need to declare it to one another. His love endures forever because that's the reality that sees us through the struggles of life. And for us as New Testament believers, now, 
He, the psalmist, looked back on the salvation out of Egypt when God saved the people. We get to look back on the cross. We just sang some wonderful songs about the cross. We look back on the cross, and therefore we know that God loves us no matter what. Now, sometimes our circumstances make us question. God, if you really love me, why do you let this happen to me? But if we look at the cross, we always know that God loves us and his love endures forever, regardless of circumstances. And therefore, in the midst of whatever you're facing, we can always give thanks because of his love, because his love endures forever. Secondly, we can always give thanks because of his salvation, his salvation of us. The psalmist writes in verse 5, From my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. That's essentially in God's presence. (laughs) The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. What a great statement. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Some of you may know this. It's just kind of interesting trivia. Okay? That verse, verse 8, is the center verse of the entire Bible. There's over 15,000 verses before it, 15,000 verses after it. This is the exact center verse of the Bible. Interesting that the chapter before this, Psalm 117, is the shortest chapter in the Bible. The psalm after this, the chapter after this, is the longest chapter in the Bible. And right here in Psalm 118 is the center verse of the entire Bible. And it summarizes, I think, the truth of the gospel. It's better to take refuge in Yahweh, in the Lord, than to trust in man. So the psalmist goes on to say, wow, in the midst of life, it's, it's good to trust in him because he takes care of you. It's better to take refuge in the Lord, verse 9, than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I, will, I cut them off. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You pushed me violently, so I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. So the psalmist recounts what life has been like for him. He, he uses these metaphors. All the nations were surrounding me. We don't know specifically what he was going through or what he had gone through. But just imagine for a minute the, what it, the pictures he's giving here. All the nations of the earth are against you, surrounding you, attacking you. Their armies are against you. He says they're surrounded me like, a, like bees. Have you ever like stepped on a bee's nest in the ground by accident and had a swarm of bees after you and or bees surrounding you and you're trying to swat at them and you can't hit them and they're after you and they're stinging you and uh, it's a pretty scary event he says that's what it's like that's what life is like sometimes where i just feel like i'm attacked and i don't know what to do that he says it's like a crackling fire of thorns around me a fire that's coming after me and surrounded me and after me He says, it's like you pushed me off a cliff and I'm falling. So he uses all these pictures to just say, 
I was struggling. Life was hard. This is how it felt. But God was there. He never abandoned me. And he helped me to learn to trust in him in the midst of it. I I can imagine Jesus. I think he relied on this psalm as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, he just sang it with his disciples. And as he was there and he knew the disciples were going to run away and deny him. As he saw the people that he loved in the city Jerusalem coming out to kill him, knowing they would crucify him, rejected by everyone, he was reminded, the Lord is my salvation. Yahweh is the one I rely on. Though they surround me like bees, I can trust in him. If Jesus can rely on the Lord through this psalm, you and I can too as well as we go through the struggles we face. He doesn't always take us out of the struggle, but he's in it with us and accomplishes his purposes in it. Verse 14 is very interesting. I just read it. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Here the psalmist quotes the song of Moses back in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, where the people had just come through the Red Sea and they'd watched the entire army of Pharaoh get destroyed as the water came back over them of the Red Sea. And Moses wrote a song, and this is the key verse in the song. So the psalmist quotes it to remind us of our salvation. You see, they're looking back on their salvation from the slavery in Egypt, that God redeemed them and saved them, killed all the firstborn, but saved Israel. In the same way, we can look back on our great redemption. Yes, life is hard sometimes, and we don't understand why God does what he does with us in everyday life sometimes, but we can always look back on the cross, on our grand redemption, our salvation, that he has saved me from myself, from my own sin, from the slavery to myself, to Satan, to sin, and I am a new creation, and I have the hope of heaven. And so no matter what you're going through, you can always thank God for your salvation. It's real. It's true. It's forever. He paid the ultimate price. He saved you. In verse 17 and 18, he says, I will not die but live until of the works of the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. He's got a healthy picture of what he's going through. In fact, he even says in this section of salvation, the part of God's salvation is his discipline of us. Now we go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't feel like salvation. (laughs) But it is, if you think about it, because what do we need to be saved from? Our own self, our own self-dependence, our own independence from God. And the things that he brings into our lives are his gentle touch of love to free us from slavery to our own flesh so we can learn to trust him completely. And so the psalmist even praises God and thanks God for the discipline in his life because it's all part of the salvation that God has given to us. You see, discipline, hard things in your life, 
don't mean God's angry with you or that he doesn't love you. In fact, Scripture clearly teaches the exact opposite. I know it doesn't feel that way, but Scripture clearly teaches the exact opposite, which is discipline is proof that God loves you. The worst kind of parent is one that totally neglects their child, ignores them, doesn't care about them at all. The best parent is one who is faithful to bring discipline into the child's life to help free the child to live fully how God created them to be. And so God disciplines us in his love. And the psalmist says, yeah, yeah, you disciplined me severely, but, <laughs> but you haven't given over me to death. You have loved me to the very, very end. So we can give thanks to God in any circumstance because his love endures forever, because of his salvation, and third, because of his presence, his presence with us. Verse 19 through 21, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. Beautiful temple imagery here. The psalmist is writing about coming into the temple, the very place where God had said, I will establish my name here. Not that God dwells in a temple, but the temple in Israel was the visible place where people could go to meet with God. They all knew that God didn't really limit himself to that building, but that was the place where they went to worship, to do sacrifices. That was where God made his presence known. And so the psalmist says, open the gates. I'm here. I get to walk right into God's presence. Isn't that amazing? He's here. I get to spend time with him. You could always know God was present by seeing the temple. And think how amazing that was in a world in which people were longing to be with God and yet had no way to do it. They, they didn't know how to get in touch with God. And mankind throughout history has been longing to connect with God. How do I come into God's presence? How do I be with God? How do I get to know Him? So there's all kinds of ways. Is it meditation? Is it losing yourself? There's plenty of religions that follow that. There's plenty of religions that say, oh, no, 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 you have to follow rules, and so you follow all the rules, and if you just do all the right things, maybe you'll somehow draw near to God. And there's all kinds of attempts, and we could fit every religion in these different categories of trying to somehow get close to God and never being able to do it. Whether it's Native American religion or Hinduism or Muslim Muslims, whatever it might be. But here's the amazing thing that we can always give thanks to God for is that God has reached down to us. He has made himself present with us. He planted his temple right in the middle of Israel so they could always come and worship him there. And then when Jesus came, it was God himself speaking to us, present among us. And then Jesus said, hey, but you know what? It's better that I leave. Not everybody can hang around me all the time. It's better that I leave because I will give you the Holy Spirit. My presence will not only be in a location somewhere or in a person, 
except it'll be in you. Every believer has the Holy Spirit, has the presence of God with them, and therefore we are with Him all the time. So that's why the author of Hebrews says, come boldly into the throne room. (laughs) It's in you. The Spirit's in you. And we can always give thanks to God for that because that is one of the most amazing truths of the gospel is we have access constantly to Him. Remember the 450 prophets of Baal that Elijah confronted on Mount Carmel. And they're trying to somehow get Baal to respond and take and burn up this uh, sacrifice they'd set up. And they're yelling and screaming and crying and all kinds of things and cutting themselves and Elijah starts mocking them. Is Baal asleep? Trying to wake him up? Taking a nap, I mean, you know, but they couldn't get him to wake up or do anything. But God was present and worked a miracle on Elijah's behalf. I like the story of Abraham Lincoln. I tried to find more details. I've heard it before. You may have heard it, but he was in a state meeting. It was very important. It was in the midst of the Civil War. Powerful, difficult meeting that he was in. And his son, about nine years old, came walking in and said, Dad, Dad, I need to talk to you. Well, Abraham Lincoln did not say, I'll talk to you later, go away. He dropped everything. He said, men, I need to talk to my son. And he stopped everything to talk to his son. That's what the father does with us every moment. He's there. He's not hard to find. It's not hard to get his attention. In fact, he's just waiting every second to hear from you. He wants to be with you. We can always thank God for his presence. Fourth, we can always thank God for his grace. Pretty amazing verse here. Verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I said last week that Psalm 110 is the most quoted chapter in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Well, this verse is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It emphasizes that when man rejects, God honors, God values. It's used to explain in the New Testament over and over again by Jesus himself and by others that though they rejected him, he was their Messiah. He didn't fit their expectations, so he, the, the picture is of somebody building a foundation and they need a cornerstone from which everything else will be measured. And they pick one and they say, no, that's no good, and they throw it away. That's what the Jews did, but what the verse says is that, no, that's the one that God chose. Jesus, the Messiah, is the one that God chose. And that's the grace of God that he reverses what man does. Man exalts money, power, status, celebrity. God exalts faithful servants. Jesus said, you want to be great? Become the servant of all. He said, the first shall be last. You see, the amazing grace of God reverses everything that the world throws at us. God is a God of surprising grace. The more you're aware of your own sinfulness, 
the more God helps you know his love and his mercy. Those of you out here in our body who serve quietly behind the scenes in all kinds of ways, whether it's in Sunday school, like Donna talked about earlier, or wherever it might be, you are the ones that God honors far more than those who are up front or who seem to have power or authority in the Christian world. That's not what God honors. And then he goes on to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Many of you have sung that, verse 24, in some kind of chorus, right? Memorized it, written it, whatever. It's a great verse to remind us that God is working out his plan, that this day-to-day is under his sovereign care and under his grace. And this is marvelous in our eyes, the psalmist says. He's working out his gracious will every day. We can trust in him, and that's a good reason, no matter what you're going through, to give thanks to the Lord, because his grace is always there. And then finally, we can give thanks to the Lord because of his truth. Verse 25 through 27, the Lord saved. Verse 26, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The psalmist is saying, it's amazing that God sends people our way, prophets, teachers. He sends his word to help us know reality. When I was a boy, I lived in a basement, in the basement of our house. And when the lights were out, in the middle of the day even, you couldn't see any light anywhere. It was completely pitch dark. Well, I was at the stairway and my bed was about six feet away. And I knew as long as the light was on, I could see what was there and I knew I was okay. But when I switched the light off, I could not see what was there. And so I worked this all out. I would reach, flip the light, take one bounding step and dive into bed. And then whatever might be hiding under the bed or in the closet couldn't get to me. I'd pull the covers over my head and feel safe. There's something about darkness where you can't see what's there that's terrifying. But the entire world is in darkness. People think they can see, but they're confused. They don't see the reality about themselves, about life, about anything. By the way, I finally stopped doing that about age 17. (laughs) But I think people live that way all their lives, trying to somehow somehow deal with the darkness and the confusion of life in which we live. But the psalmist says, amazing, you've given us light. You've given us truth, reality, so we can see what's there. God has opened our eyes to who we are, what the world's all about, where life comes from, who he is, etc. So we can thank God no matter what we're going through because he's not left us in the dark to try to deal with it ourselves. He has given us truth to live by. As Jesus was going to the horror of the cross, this psalm was at the forefront of his mind. I believe it gave him a heart of courage, trust, and thankfulness to be able to go through that.
and it can for us as well. You may have heard the quote of the probably the greatest Protestant theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, when he was asked, everything you've written, millions of words, all kinds of great theology, well, how would you summarize the essence of all of that? He said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a great summary of Psalm 118. No matter what turmoil you're facing, you can always give thanks because God's love is with you. It endures forever. His salvation is always there. His presence is there. His grace is upon you. His truth is always available to you. It doesn't mean life isn't hard, but it means you always have access to him and his love for you. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful picture for us of how you on earth learned trust of your heavenly Father in the most difficult time of your life through this psalm. May we do the same. May we follow in your footsteps and learn to trust and grow in faith and give thanks even when life is hard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.